Hi, everyone. This is Daisies.Live. I'm Scott. I'm Rob. And this is Zane. And we are talking about what today, Moral? What's what's on the what are we? What's the program? Well, uh, last week Trubanga released, and we're going to talk a little bit about Trubanga. We're going to review it. Our review, of course, is up online already, and you're most uh, welcome to go uh, read it at Daisy's Alive. We will review Tandav, the series, of course, the crux of the series, and then of course the controversy surrounding Tandav. Last week, we introduced Scott to Aishman Kurana, Bareilleki Parfi, which Scott wanted to watch. So, and after that, we'll talk a little bit more about Vivek Tiwari, the Grammy nominee for Best Musical Album, and we talk about his process of finding a mentor. And that's our program for today. Scott? That's great. That sounds, that's really exciting. Okay. Well, um, there's lots going on in the world and there's so many things to talk about that uh, I would love to discuss. All I can say though, is we're all here and we're all in one piece, knock on wood. And I'm looking forward to doing next week's show as much as I'm looking forward to doing this week's show. <clears throat> we all, are we all picking up mm -hmm, on that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Totally. <laughs> we all, we all picked up and you have no idea how desperately we're waiting for two more days. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just, we're, yep, yep, yeah, we're just, we're just getting yeah, but through. Yeah, by the time the show is broadcast, that those, that day would have come and gone. That so, day will have come and gone, you know, boy. So listeners are listening to the show, <laughs> it will be another, another America. Yeah, yeah, all right. Well, um, what are we starting with? We're starting with Trabanga. Who's reviewing Trabanga? I watched it. All right, let's hear it. Tell us about Trabanga. What's the premise? The story... Uh, starts with Biographer is interviewing a famous author and the author is talking about her life and quite suddenly she has a stroke and she's taken to the hospital and it is in the hospital when her children come to see her that the biographer actually gets to talk to the children and really understand the other side of the story and puts the entire story together. Mm. And not only are they estranged, but they are also very angry with her about the choices that she made because their lives got affected by the choices that she made right. when they were with her. And they no longer talk to her. They no, no longer call her mom. They call her by her first name and they blame her for whatever's wrong wrong in their lives. Now, there's a daughter who is a very well-known actress and a dancer. And then there's a granddaughter, a pregnant granddaughter who decided to get married into a very, she made her life's choices based on what she saw around her. So this is a story of all these characters coming together and exploring what went wrong in their relationships. They're angry, they're, they're sad, they have grudges against each other. But then uh, there are revelations in, in the story as the story pro progresses that really brings to light what exactly happened and how even when things are happening in front of you, you don't realize those things because you're not thinking in those mm. in that framework of thought. And because you're not thinking, the other person assumes that you're doing this willingly, whereas you're not. You're just not thinking in that frame of thought. So, um, and, and then I thought this, this entire story was really um, amazing because it brought to light characters that were strong, strong women characters. Women who uh, had the guts to live life at their terms and still do. And it celebrated them in a really nice way. 
Um, the, the author who's on her deathbed in a coma is a woman who listened to herself. And the question that the movie really throws up is, is it wrong for a woman to listen to herself? Is it wrong? Why does a society think a woman who thinks about herself, about her own happiness is wrong? So I thought that was a really a nice way of bringing that entire discussion to the fore. And I thought the entire ensemble actors, there's Kajol, there's Sanvi Azmi, Methli Palkar, Manav Govil, Kavaljeet Singh. The actors were phenomenal in, in their respective roles. Uh, Tanvi Azmi as the older author who's dying, uh, Kajol as a firebrand actress, um, she abuses everybody around her. She's angry with life. And that a- actress really brings brings together the character so well. And then Methley Palker in her role as a granddaughter who is who's seen so much turmoil with women taking stances in her own life that she decides she doesn't want to take a stance. She want, wants to get married into a very traditional family and, you know, doesn't want to doesn't want to throw tantrums because that's peace for her because she's seen so much turmoil with other women in her family who lived life at their right. terms. So the entire psychology of these three generations, the love between all of them and, and, the, uh, 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 and the friction between all of them, it's so beautifully projected. The movie is written and directed by Renuka Shahane, who is a veteran actress. She's been in the industry for a very long time and I believe... This might be to some extent inspired by the story of a mother who was also a very famous author. But it is a beautiful movie to watch. It's uh, streaming on Netflix. Don't miss it. Without giving too much away, without getting too into it, is it a, I can see this going in all possible directions. Is it a happy ending, a sad ending, a dramatic ending, something neutral? What's the, how does that resolve? Without giving much away, I'll just tell you, it's just like life where, you know, there is no ending, right? Mm. There's no, life is no story. Of course, there is that entire Joha Q, you know, as the start and the middle and the end. But that end, end depends on the characters. It's a, it's a very well-told story because the characters make the story. The story is not made by the characters. Right? The characters okay. are so strong that they make the story happen. And then how it resolves in the end is actually another Joe, another beginning for for a lot of things that could have been told or not told. Okay. But um, I thought I thought the storytelling, the narrative, the cinematography by uh, and the photography by Baba Azmi, it was just phenomenally put together. Uh, it was great storytelling. Great. Okay. Well, we'll look for that. Zane, what do we got? All right. Let's move on to our song for uh, today to start off everything is Ajab Prem Ki Ghazab Kahani. And the song is Tera Hone Lagahun by Atif Aslam and Alicia Chennai. I love this song. All right. We're back. It's Stacey's.live. And I tell you what, I, I'm really excited to talk about this next, this next series. Um, Tandav the series zane have you seen this yes i have seen this i know i know moral has seen it and i watched it all right who's gonna start let's start with you scott <laughs> oh I, okay well i all right the the bottom the premise is this is the, just to give it a simple tag it's uh indian house of cards 
right? And um, that part of it, I thought was excellent. I just thought it was, it was shrewd. It was all the things that you love about a political thriller, right? It was shrewd. It was backstabbing. There was death. <laughs> there was scandal of, you know, there was all the things, all the red meat for someone who likes political thrillers. And then, and I loved that part of it. And then there was this side story that definitely was, you know, it was, they were, they worked together. These, these two stories weaved in and out, but then there was this second story about politics on campus and getting people involved. And, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to dance around this. And I also don't want to be too harsh, but I absolutely hated it. I could not, every time they cut to the college, the goofy music played and the silly posters and the, the rallies. And, and I, I just thought, oh God, hurry up and let's get back to the fun part. I just, I didn't like that part at all. So as much as I enjoyed season one and I thoroughly enjoyed it, when it cut to that second story going on, I was just, oh no. Ugh. So there, there we go. That, that's, I've laid, I've set that table. Who wants to jump in? Hey Zen, what about you? Hey, you know what? I'm kind of going to agree with Scott on the on the second subplot. Uh, I think there's essential parts to it, but I think it got given way too much play. I think the uh, there is enough material within the within the the first major storyline to completely yes completely totally. dominate the story. We're talking about the Prime Minister of India. Like yeah. the, you I mean, can find. It yeah. is. It is. It is House of Cards. It's political. It's amazing. Reacted. It's got some heavy hitting stars. Um, you know, Saif Ali Khan just is is perfect in this role once again uh, as a shrewd, cutting. Uh, well, I mean, what other words can you apply to that role, right? <laughs> Without giving too much away. Without giving too much away, <laughs> and, then, and then Dimple Kapadia, you know, comes back into this, and it's just completely different you know not what you would have expected from years past and she's just she dominates her role i mean it's a very well told story uh, the politics are amazing um i am not surprised that it's getting a lot of pushback uh from certain circles that is causing some controversy uh based around the the cast and the storyline and just maybe the depiction of indian politics not being so clean as some people would love to believe it is uh, but um, I think it also mirrors a lot of what we're seeing in other places in the world as well. Other places? Mm. Other places? Other places. <laughs> what could you possibly be talking about? <laughs> I where's, your, where's your GPS, Zen? Where's your GPS ad? <laughs> okay, now, Moral, before, before I, I would, at some point, and I, I know there is the controversy, but I'm not familiar with it, so... Let's get some of your feedback on the story, but also someone needs to tell me about the, the specifics of this controversy. For sure. Let me let me add that. And I love the show. Now, you keep saying that it's the uh, Indian House of Cards. It's not the Indian House of Cards at all. In at, at a lot of levels, it's a political show, just like House of Cards was a political show. And of course, there's that's manipulation. It. Right. And, that's and all that's about it. Yeah, that's okay, that, but it. that gives it a real easy label, right? It's, it's an easy label. It's not. It's not a replication, but it's, yeah. it's definitely an easy. It's label. not. A, it's not a replication in any form or manner. The story is extremely original. It is drawn from the political climate in India, and uh, probably that is the reason why it's a sort. It's become this source of controversy, 
but um, knowing Indian politics to the extent that I do, uh, student politics is a very important part of Indian political arena. Now, uh, unlike uh, how it's done in the other parts of the world, in India, universities have the youth branches of the political parties. Um, India is a multi-party democracy. So if, um, if you and I want to go ahead and form a party to run uh, for a certain political post, we're, we're able to do it. There are some election commission by, uh, guidelines that you have to uh, conform to, but if you can, you're free to form your political party. So, uh, so from that perspective, a multi-party democracy has uh, obviously many streams of thoughts, many, um, uh, many um, ideologies, many factions, and between those factions, uh, everybody has a vote. And everybody has a play at university level politics. And that's why university elections are highly political. They're as political as uh, the elections for the prime minister of the country. And that's because a lot of money goes into it. A lot of money goes into forming the base in universities for political parties. Because remember another thing, 70% of the population of India is below the age of 25. <laughs> that's where the politics starts. So... Uh, telling a political story about India without telling a story about university politics is not possible. Okay, they just make it more interesting. That's that's my whole point, right? It it yeah. just there was something about it that was a little corny. Yeah. The love story was a little. I just it just didn't it didn't when you compare it to the the A story, it it just was lacking and. Some of that is just because it was so good. You know, the parts that were said in Delhi, the parts where it was the actual prime minister and the party and the cabinet. I mean, that was just shrewd and, like I said, red meat for people who love political thrillers. The 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 I understand that it's realistic. It's like my it was my problem with the um, with the Criminal Minds Criminal Defense show. It may be realistic to have a woman who's doesn't want to get into the shame and then this and then that, but it doesn't make it a good story. It has to be done a very specific way, and I don't think this one was. I think the college part of it was just a little. Uh, just a I little... think that's going to start playing a little bit more in season two, and I think I think they. I'm, I'm pretty sure season two, season two is gonna gonna Hopefully. gonna see a lot more of that political scenario. Even though, so Muhammad Zishan Ayub is phenomenal as Shiva. And, and his ideology, he's trying to stay away from the politics of other people. He's, he's smart that way. However, he gets drawn into, there's no way you can escape the manipulation of a bigger political shark. And that's really aptly shown in the series. Apart from that, what I, what I really loved is all the women in the yeah, show. Absolutely. But they were very strongly strongly written characters um the uh dimple Kalapadia's character as anuradha kishore um gohar khan's character oh my god phenomenally written as somebody who's loyal to an extent right and <laughs> loyal she, until she's not <laughs> but, but that's politics isn't no, i understand oh yeah oh, I get you it. don't yeah. have to be there's nothing yeah. called loyalty in politics and she makes that primary mistake of telling her stuff and, well, uh, and she used quote. to it. There's a fantastic quote in the movie about, I mean, in the show about loyalty as well. So, it, it, yeah, it, it, 
Definitely can't dialogue. Very, very, very deliberate dialogue. Let me just say it. But but uh, also what I really loved about the show was the entire cinematography, the editing was phenomenal. How the scenes went between one plot and another plot and how they were cut back and forth. A lot of the movie was uh, actually, if you don't know, was shot in uh, Saif Ali Khan's own palace. I don't know Scott, but Saif Ali Khan is a... Uh, is, is a Nawab. He he got this title from his father. His father was the Nawab of Patori, and it's Patori was a princely state before it became royalty. a part of India. He's he's royalty, and uh, he when he got the title from his father when his pa- father passed away, they didn't have a lot of money, so he had actually given the palace on a lease to a hotel to run. So the palace was a hotel all the way till two thousand four or something, two thousand five. And then in 2005, Seth had earned enough money to buy it back from, for his family. So now the property back in the family and he's literally earned his money through, through his work. He's, he, did not, he did not have the wealth when he started off. So really amazing, amazing personal story of Seth Ali Khan. But a lot of the movie, the, the facade of their home, everything is yeah. Patori Palace. Actually, yeah, those shots are those shots are amazing. I mean, some of those the exterior shots are just it's yeah, it's very phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. And it's been shot even inside of you can see you even see the decor and you know the setup and all. It's all a Patori Palace. Um having said that, um I think um the actors were phenomenal. The surprise of the series was of course um Sunil Grover, who is a who's a comedian. And him as Gurpal was just phenomenal. He acting. was great. There was a I scene where he looked just like Alfred guy Newman. He dresses up like a woman on another show. He Ooh, dresses up wow. as a woman on another show. He was sorry. So in the second to last episode, he looked like actor. Alfred E. Newman badly. It was a it was a it was a bad shot. That was the first thing I thought of. Are we familiar with Alfred E. Newman? Do we know who that is? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. We yeah, the guy on Mad Magazine. So yeah, that was yeah. that was unfortunate. We're trying to t- trying to increase the badass look because he was badass for most of the series and then there were a couple shots in the second to last episode where i thought it was the cover of mad magazine someone just held up the cover and it was him so that that was unfortunate that kind of cut that cut into the uh the the fixer bad guy look all of a sudden i didn't take him too seriously other than that he was great do you guys think I kind of feel like they held back a lot in this? I I, I feel like there's more horsepower. I, I I feel like as good as it is, the the this the there's something meaty to come, maybe season two. But I I I just feel like they 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 held back a little bit, and I wonder that's because if they were aware of the potential political controversy they would generate in real life. Maybe did anyone else get that sense? Now that you say it, I can see that. Yeah. I didn't. It didn't hit me at the time, but now I'm. Now that I think about it, yes, I I can see that. I'm not saying they did, but yeah, I, I can see where you would think that. All right, cool. Well, I think it's time for our next song. And what is uh, that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's Tiamo. I love you from Dumb Model Dumb, sung by Ash King and Sotini Chon. Daisy's dot live. This is Scott, and we are back. And uh, we just got done talking about Tandav the series and uh all that and the fun the the political red meat etc etc and now we're moving on to something completely different 
And I mean completely different. <laughs> we are, we're we are exploring Aishman Karana. Yes, I, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so um, this was <sighs> Bareli Kibarfi. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it other than there's just this. Uh, first of all, okay, I don't understand how that woman did not have. There's a part of me that wants to talk about this movie really as a vehicle for talking about the whole arranged marriage system in India, not to criticize it, not to anything like that. Um, but, but just, I don't understand how, and I don't know the actress's name, but the woman who played BT, I don't, how could that woman not be, how could that young woman not be married? Seriously, she was smart and she was stunning. How could, really, come on. The name of the actress is Kriti Sanon. Uh-huh. And, uh, Kriti plays Biddy in Bareilly Burfi, where she's this smart, outspoken, uh, she smokes, she drinks, she she's non-consummative. And and then she she gets a lot of uh, arranged marriage uh, proposals. That doesn't work out for her, probably because of the expectations of the Indian society from girls. How is there not um, a line down the, the street of, of guys going, you know... <laughs> Let's yeah. let's meet. Let's yeah, meet. Yeah. That's what I mean. Uh, you know, okay. When guys, yeah, but when guys want to marry, they don't want to marry a nonconformist woman. <laughs> take, take right. that. Okay. Take, they right. want to marry somebody who will be nice, who will be, you know, polite, who will conform to the Indian way of oh, being. Guys. Then I would say, guys, get on girl, the roller coaster, strap in. And enjoy the ride is what I would you say. You really think that is the real case in real life? I don't think so. Me well, or no? Well, we're all outliers here, right? I I wouldn't be that woman ever. I wouldn't put myself in in, in the place of that woman ever. And you guys wouldn't be in the place of the guys who want to get married. I would overlook so marriage. many faults. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so anyway okay the, so that's one that's that's one thing that that made it you know the suspension of disbelief was difficult but the the premise was remember, that, remember she met this guy and the guy asks her are you a virgin i, I okay i know that we're not supposed isn't to, that pathetic yeah. would you want to marry the guy if that, would you be okay with it with a relationship with a guy that is particular clown you? no that guy i that 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 guy no Okay, then we have to have a talk with the Indian boys because they, I, don't, I don't know what's going on there. Again, all right, anyway, that's, she's tired. She's tired of the crap. She's tired of the, of the being put down and being rejected and she's just going to get out. She's going to get out for, there's a couple of reasons. There's a few things going on. She just wants to leave. And while she leave, when she leaves, she goes to this train station, take a train somewhere. She doesn't even know anywhere. And she, she buys a book and it turns out, and I love this twist. I was not, expecting this at all she buys a book and she reads it on the train and she goes right back home because the story is about her and i loved that twist and then it puts this whole and then we the rest of the movie is about her finding out who this guy is who is the writer of this story because he knows her he knows her very well she meets she thinks someone the stories about her yeah she thinks it's about her it's 90 percent her so, and then it's, you know, we get a little bit of the Cyrano de Bergerac story where, and it's, it's extremely funny. And the guy that she, th <laughs> it's complicated, man, it's really complicated, but the long, the long, here's the, here's the, the way it ends. It ends with, I'm finding this out about so many Bollywood movies. It ends in a wedding and there's a switcheroo at the end. 
everyone's it's ha everyone lives happily ever after. And I understand that these are feel good movies. I get that. I, you know, I, people love that the singing and the dancing. It is not my speed, but I get that people like that. I, I found the movie on one hand, I found the plot. It was, it was a semi complicated plot with mistaken identity and, you know, sock puppet characters and things like that. But um, I found that fun and enjoyable. I found the, the performances fun for the most part. I thought when, the, when he was teaching him how to be a jerk, and it, there's really a much better word in English, but I'm probably, I shouldn't say it. Um, it ends in bag. And he taught him how to, how to be that kind of a person. I laughed out loud multiple times because the guy who played the little mousy dude who turns into this jerk who's supposed to turn, turn off the young woman. He's supposed to, as long as he's a turn off, then, then the guy who really is in love with the young woman will, will comfort her and they'll fall in love. His process of becoming a jerk was hilarious. Didn't like the ending. I'm glad. I'm glad that the two. I'm glad they came together. I, I'm glad they had the. I'm not a happy ending sort of guy. I like. I like big dramatic endings. I don't like the song and dance. You know. So it it was a it was a fun movie. It was a it was a great premise at the beginning, but then it slowly went downhill for me. So what do you think about that? Sin. I, I just think it was just a. It was a good movie with a good plot and a good storyline. Yeah, I, th I think the the whole concept of having somebody discover that there's a book and it's written about them and that alters the direction of their life, I think that was interesting. Yes. But generally, as a Bollywood movie, Scott, I'm, I'm sorry, but the majority do end up in happy weddings, right? I, 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 no, <laughs> I get it. The I, traditional type, right? I, I know. Mean, I'm now, but... <laughs> That's the Indian definition of a happy ending to a romance, right? No, I, I, I believe me, I'm beginning, to, I'm figuring that out. And um, you're talking about the Indian scenario. The first whoa, I, this, this just took a dating, weird turn. Dating app, oh, this just dating took a weird app turn. That Indian had. The first ever <laughs> oh, dating sorry, app that Indian sorry, had was Shabi.com, which means marriage. For God's sake. There's just, the Indian society did not have the concept of dating. You'd meet a guy, you'd marry him. If you're dating somebody, you fall in love. You how to marry the guy? Okay. Right. With that said, let's get to a little bit of a happier, a little bit more romantic tone, just to just to just to get you a little bit more <laughs> in the romance Silence. of Hollywood. So we're we're, we're going to go to a song from Bareliki Burfi called "Nazam Nazam" by Arco. Let's play it. Hi everyone. This is Daisy Sat Live. We're back, and uh, I'm still feeling a little. Um, <laughs> I'm still recovering from that last segment. And uh, so we're going to jump into something a little more, a little less controversial. Who, who did we talk to recently, Moral? We spoke to Vivek Tiwari. If you remember, uh, Vivek Tiwari is uh, the celebrated author, New York Times bestseller, and the Grammy nominee for Best Musical Album, produ producer for Best Musical Album, where Alanis Morissette's Jag a Little Pill. The whole conversation was really, really interesting. And I especially wanted to touch upon the entire conversation that I had with him around mentors. And surprisingly, what he told me was this, his mentor was somebody that he had never met. Do you have mentors, Scott? How do you choose mentors? Uh, uh, choosing a mentor is, it's one of those things I think, and I'm going to sound, this is going to sound like pseudo spiritual, but and a lot of times a mentor chooses you. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a mentor uh, in school 
uh, it wasn't necessarily because of academic things. It was more of life things. I just, I, I had a teacher who had a tremendous effect on me and education was the least of it. Just his worldview and the way he, his thoughts on relationships and, and travel and careers. And he was just, he was just in a, a fascinating guy. And uh, I kind I feel as if the universe put us together, you know, without, without getting too, that is getting pretty fancy schmancy, but that that's how I felt about it. It felt like it was just, it happened. Um, I consented, right? I was a part of it. I was like, this, this guy is definitely someone I, but it, it felt like it was just going to happen. Everything he said, practically everything he said spoke to me. I've had a mentor in music. I'm a drummer. I've had a mentor in business. And again, it was much more of a, it was much less of a dollars and cents relationship and much more of a, big picture, strategic horizon sort of thing. And in all of these cases, I never set out to find the person. I never set out and I never said, I want a mentor. I need one. I'm going to go search for one. I, I, they, just, they just happened. And, and I think that's much more effective. I think that's much more, um, those are lessons. Those are relationships that, that are usually stronger. Yeah, because a mentor, apart from um, having something to give you, also needs to inspire you, right? Yes. So, uh, so then, do you have mentors? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's pretty much like Scott says, they they very much have come into my life organically. Um, and the people that I help and advise in kind of a pseudo-mentorship capacity, I think that's grown organically. I, too, am not a favor of the, hey, let's set up a mentoring program, unless it's young kids or something like that, or people who really need it and don't yeah, that's a good that point. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it's great there. But just generally in life, I think you naturally come across people who are wanting to help. There's plenty of, the amazing thing is there's plenty of people who want to give advice and help. Right. True, yeah. true. And, and in Vivek's case, uh, Vivek, of course, as I said, wrote a graphic novel called The Fifth Beetle, and it won the Comic Industry Award and two Harvey Awards. It's a Lambda literary finalist for Best LGBT Graphic Novel and has been added to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Library and Archives. Vivek actually looks up to Brian Epstein, who was the Beatles manager from 1961 until his death in 1967, and literally was instrumental in the Beatles' rise to global fame. Uh, he discovered the band in Liverpool, saw their potential, never wavered in his faith and commitment to them, and he also limited himself to only business matters and public image and gave the band free creative reign in their music. So. Epstein, uh, apart from doing all of this professionally, was personally a LGBTQ person who was trying to make it big in a music industry that did not look inclusively towards that persona. He's also Jewish on top of it. So what Vivek told me in his interview was that he actually thought he, he was a lot like the outsider that Brian was, and he used the principles that mm. Brian did to break into a very competitive music production industry on Broadway, being a being an Indian kid with no uncles and aunties in the industry, no patronage, uh, being being of a totally different background. He's a Wharton graduate in business, but uh, he sold music before he entered production. I think a, a lot has to be said for how you can find your mentors. You know, he researched Brian Epstein for many many years before he 
wrote the graphic novel and now he's creating a Netflix series on Brian Epstein's life. Here, if you want to know more, watch the interview on our YouTube channel, on our Insta and on Facebook. But here's an excerpt of the interview. <laughs> That's a big statement, not only for the Indian community as such, but also for uh, kids that are going to look up to you. And I say this to all of you guys who, you know, we spoke with Priya Darshani the other day and I said the same to her. You guys are role models for a lot of young South Asian kids in this country and and the billion kids, you know, 70% of, of uh, 1.4 billion people who are below the age of 25 in India who no longer feel that they have to be a doctor or an engineer anymore and they can't be who they want to be. So you guys are really leading the way here. So tell me more about your entire journey. Um, you, you, of course, told me that, that that's how you got started. But but I know you wrote The Fifth Beetle and yeah. and that is being converted into a, a TV series now. Correct, yep. So, um, and, and I also know that you secure the rights for the Lennon McCartney catalog to yeah. use the bi biographic project. How did you do that? Tell me yeah. the story. So, so the fifth Beatle, you know, go, going back to the beginning, you know, so I um, found myself going to UPenn and Wharton and, mm -hmm. you know, I was dreaming about a, a life in the arts. And at the time, uh, forget about the fact that I was also Indian, um, young people at Wharton were not encouraged to go into the arts. So I kind of had two things going against me or, go, or going against my dreams back then. Since then, Wharton has had a number of, of programs for, for, uh, for the business of the arts. But, you know, this was 90, uh, you know, this was 91, essentially. It's the early 90s. And, and uh, Wharton was very much about finance, accounting, investment banking, entrepreneurial management, but not entrepreneurial within media even. You know, this was before even the internet boom. So... You know, my dreams were unorthodox, putting it, uh, to, to putting it uh, very politely uh, at Wharton. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to pursue a career in the arts, I should study the life of the great arts entrepreneurs, especially because I want, my goal was to start my own company. I was a lifelong Beatles fan. Uh, my parents loved the Beatles. They also introduced me to the Beatles. And so I thought I should study the life of Brian Epstein, the guy who discovered the Beatles and managed them and ran their business. And again, this was 1991, and I was very surprised to find that there were no um, books about Brian. Uh, you know, they're, they're literally, I remember finding a book about John Lennon's astrologist and not finding a book about the guy who managed the band. And at this time, there was also no Wikipedia, there was no YouTube, there was no Google, you know. So there was none of these online resources. That's right. So, so I literally had no choice but to track down people who knew Brian and to interview them, you know, and, and, uh, and this began my journey of studying the life of Brian Epstein. And what I, you know, I was initially chasing the Beatles stories, you know, I wanted to know how he came up with the idea for the suits and the haircuts. I wanted to know how did he book them on the Ed Sullivan show in the United States when a British band had never made an impact over here. How did he even get them a record deal in the UK when every record label had passed on them? These were the stories I was interested in because I was a business student dreaming of a life in music. Um, and I got those stories and they were, were wonderful and inspiring and they're all in my book. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I'm, I'm actually really glad that there was no Wikipedia page or YouTube thing because I might have gone to that. I might have done a little research. I might have gotten what I wanted and moved on. 
But because I was forced to sit down with people who knew him, and there was that really personal connection to my research, you know, when these people realized that I wasn't a, you know, a journalist looking for a salacious scoop, I was a, I was a student looking for inspiration, you know, they began to sort of trust me and we became friends. And eventually they started to tell me, you know, if you really want to get to know what about Brian, you need to understand his personal life. And, and what they revealed to me was that he was gay and Jewish and from Liverpool. And those were three significant obstacles, uh, you know, in the 1960s. It was a felony to be gay. The Oscar Wilde laws were still in place. So it was literally against the law. Um, Anti-Semitism was rampant in the country far more than it is today. It's still a problem today, but it was much worse back then. And Liverpool, Liverpool before the Beatles, was not a town that anyone in, in England, much less the rest of the world, was looking at for the next big cultural thing. Um, it was a strategic port town, and there, there was a lot of shipping going through Liverpool, but there was nothing cultural that people were looking at Liverpool uh, as a cultural hub. So Anne Bryan was 26 years old. So he was literally a gay Jewish kid running around a dirty port town in the north of England, telling anyone who would listen to him, I found the next, a, a local rock and roll band who are going to be the next big thing. They're going to be bigger than Elvis. They're going to elevate pop music into an art form. You know, people laughed at him. They looked at, it, looked at him like he was crazy. And they said, you know, your, your parents have a successful family business. You should stick to that. You know, and while I would never claim to have had the obstacles that Brian had in his life, I'm not gay or Jewish or from Liverpool, um, but I felt that I could emotionally relate to those struggles. You know, uh, you know, you could maybe understand how the gay Jewish kid from Liverpool was inspiring to the weirdo Indian kid from New York's Lower East Side. You know, I thought if that gay Jewish kid could bring the world the Beatles, why couldn't this weirdo Indian kid write comic books and produce, produce Broadway musicals? You know, Brian became what I describe my historical mentor. You know, I was born in 73. He died in 67. So I never got to meet him. But I studied his life intricately. And I learned from him the way you learn from a mentor, what to do and what not to do. He wasn't perfect. There were a lot of things he did imperfectly. And I try to learn from those as well. But this is all a way of saying, like, the Brian Epstein story is very personal to me, and it started way back from when I was in college, you know, long before I was thinking of writing a graphic novel or doing a TV series. I studied his life because it was inspiring to me as a young Indian kid, son of immigrants, who wanted a role model of somebody who did what he wasn't supposed to do, who, who pushed against expectations. He was supposed to join his family business like I was, you know? So, so that, that was the inspiration behind it for me, you know? So what are the things that you think um, Brian did that you almost did and didn't do because of Brian's story? Say that one more time. I said, what are the things that Brian did that taught you not to do those things? Things, not, really to, yeah. things not to do? Yeah, well, you know, look, he he had different pressures in his life because because for example, he was gay at a time where it was against the law, right? Um, so so I don't I don't totally fault him so much for this, but he really, you know, the easiest way of saying it is he just didn't make enough time for love in his life, you know, and and it was harder for him than it was for me, but it's something I try to be very conscious of is to make sure that I make enough time for to spend with my wife and my kids. 
You know, I, I work in entertainment and and it's it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, th this has been a strange year with the pandemic. We've been indoors a lot. Um, but in typical years, you know, I get invited to a lot of cool events and, and openings and screenings and book launches. And, you know, it would be very easy to think like, I've got a great social life. And I, you know, I, I do all sorts of really cool, fun things outside of work. And then you look at it and you realize like, no, that's all work. You know, all those screenings and all those readings and all those cool things you're doing. Like, yeah, they're cool, but they're work-related. And so I try to make sure that, that I spend as much time with my, my family as I can. And, and Brian didn't do that. Again, he had different pressures in his life, but he really didn't do that. I mean, he was a very loved man, and he just didn't spend enough time with the people who loved him. He was constantly focusing on his work. And I try, try to focus on my work because it's hard what we do. And make sure that I work diligently and 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 work those extra hours to accomplish what you need to accomplish. Especially, you know, the, the way that it was harder for him being a gay Jewish guy, it's sometimes very hard for me being an Indian guy. People look at me like, you're not supposed to be in this field. I need to work extra hard. But you know what? I also work for myself. And I also make sure that I'm there to put my kids to sleep every night. It might mean that I go back to work after I put them to sleep, but I do that, you know, and I make sure that I don't miss a, a, a music recital or a, or a dance recital. You know, I, I try to be there for all of their things. And that's something that Brian did not do, but I learned from his example. Like he died at the age of 32, you know, never having had a proper boyfriend, you know, a guy that dedicated his entire life to helping this band, the Beatles, bring a message of love into the world. She loves you, all you need is love, lovely Rita. I mean, that's what the Beatles were all about. And yet he didn't have enough time for the for the love in his own life. And so I so I try I try to not do that, you know. That that's the probably the biggest thing that I've learned uh, to do not what not to do, what not to follow his example. Faces.live, we're back. And uh yeah, he's a he's a very interesting guy, and I'm really sorry I missed that. <clears throat> Excuse me, I missed that interview. My my gallbladder had other plans, but um, that's that's a, 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 a he's a fascinating guy. It's an excellent interview, and I I strongly recommend people uh, listen to the full to the full interview. It's a, it's it's really interesting. You did a great job with that, Merle. Thanks, Scott. Great. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our show for this week. So we are going to have just one more song. Uh, it's called Hussy from Hamari Aduri Kahani by Ami Mishra. Oh, my God. I absolutely love song. And I have this unplugged version right here. Time to wrap up. Bye, everyone. See you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.